Hello and welcome, Friartown. It's November 23rd, and today we will be joined by Friars broadcasting legend, John Rook. I'm your host, Billy Ritchie, and this is the Friar Podcast. What's going on, everybody? Billy Ritchie here, host of the Friar Podcast. Excited to have you all here with me as I begin this journey, and even more excited to bring you all along for this inaugural episode. Whether you've worked with me in the past and you were just trying to fill up your water bottle at the water cooler, or you were trying to get home in time to watch one of your favorite TV shows and make some dinner and I ran into you at the supermarket, we've probably chatted about Friar Basketball. And this, of course, comes from my long lineage of Friar basketball fandom. My grandmother used to listen to PC games on the radio, and she grew up down the street from PC campus, and I attended PC back in 2014 and graduated, and I'm very excited to share this platform with different members of the Friar community, including some former and current players to talk about their experiences under Coach Cooley and what it's like to play for the Friars, the media as well who cover the team and can talk about the ins and outs of what it's like to cover a big market college basketball team, And different members of the PC athletics community who can talk about the importance in giving back and why we're one of the best Division I basketball programs in the country. So without further ado, I would like to get to my first guest here, but of course we have to talk about our social media. You can follow us at Friar Podcast on Instagram, at Friar Podcast on Twitter. We're excited to share some different stories with you guys and make our platform as accessible as possible. And without further ado, let's get to our first guest. I'd like to bring you all somebody here who's got a lot of experience in Friartown and is a 2011 Rhode Island Radio Hall of Famer. He is the in-stadium voice for the Patriots, and he is your play-by-play announcer for the Providence Friars. Ladies and gentlemen, John Rook. All right, ladies and gentlemen, and all you Friar fanatics out there, welcome to the first ever guest portion of the Friar Podcast. Today, on our first episode, we are joined by a true legend, a Rhode Island Radio Hall of Fame legend, class of 2011. He's the voice of the Providence Friars, as well as your New England Patriots, and he is a director over at the Center for Business, Entertainment, and Sports Management at Dean College. John Rook. <laughs> I think I need to hire you as my agent. <laughs> I, 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 do, I do what I can, and like I said, we honestly couldn't be more excited to have you as our first guest on the show. I remember calling into your radio show Saturday morning, uh, uh, on Saturday morning at Southern New England Sports Saturday, for those who don't know, with Scott Cordishi, and speaking a little bit of Friars with you, John, and you said, Billy, I think you should come join us on the show one day, and here I am hosting you on my own show, so. Well, see, then it worked, didn't it? (laughs) Just took us a while to get there, I guess, didn't it? Yeah, everything everything works out, and again, John, we we just hope that your family's well and everybody important to you are doing well during these time, and uh, let's get right into it. And I'm going to start with a really, really hard question here on the Friar Podcast, and I'm going to ask you, what is your favorite Rhode Island restaurant? Oh, wow. I'd have to say probably, this will be a typical Rhode Island answer, probably Capitol Grill. Okay. Probably Capitol Grill, Um, and, and I enjoy going, you know, upscale you know, every now and then. But if, if you really want to get, you know, uh, down and dirty, I'd have to say that uh, there are many, many, many different ones to try. I, I like, um, you know, up on Federal Hill. Uh, I like um, uh, Andino's and I like Camille's. Mm-hmm. Um, I like um, um, Casarino's. 
let's see, where else, uh, where else can we possibly go? You know what? Um, I really don't recall one that I haven't had a good meal at. That's, that's, you know, I mean, I do have my, my general favorites and, and I like to go to the dives as well as anybody, but um, I, I've, uh, that's one of the things about Rhode Island. It's been pretty special. The, the restaurants have been pretty spectacularly good most of the way. Well, my, my mother actually hails from Federal Hill herself, so I, I have some pretty big opinions about the restaurants over on Federal Hill. You already mentioned my favorite. That's going to be Casarino's, and my favorite because it has the Casarino special, chicken, veal, and eggplant. The Italian big three all put in one dish together. Nobody should be allowed to eat that all at the same time, but they make it happen. Shout out to Casarino's. Hope, hopefully they see this and they sponsor the podcast. That's a real good choice. Really good choice. Love it a lot. I, my, my favorite in Andino's is their calamari because um, it's always uh, firm and it's not soft and it's very spicy uh, and almost crisp to the taste. So that's why I like Andino's a lot because that really kind of sets the tempo for the whole night. So I usually end up when people come into town or at least when, you know, we were able to have people come into town, Billy. Yeah. You know, bring them up, you know, out, you know, and say, well, where can we go to get good Italian? We usually pick whichever one doesn't have the weight between Casarinos, between Andinos, between Camille's, uh, a couple of others that we'll choose from uh, as well. And uh, haven't gone wrong yet. Haven't gone wrong yet. You really can't. And I'm sure there are a lot of visiting broadcasters and anybody who works over at the Dunk who love coming to Providence. So all the time. So when they come into town, it's like, hey, where are we going on the hill tonight? So we come up with a good choice. Love it. I'm happy to have you as our ambassador for that. And glad you like some quality Italian spots here in in the Renaissance City. So, but to start off with our first PC question here, John, I have my opinion here, but I think everybody wants to hear yours. Who are some of your favorite friars of all time who've ever put on the, the black and white? See, I know, I'm, you're going to get me in trouble. You're going to get me in trouble because if I say somebody specifically, then the other guys are going to go, hey, what about me? What about us? You know, um, I, look, there are a bunch of really, really uh, standout guys over the last 32 years that, that I've, I've been, you know, with the program and I, you know, and it, it, I mean, it starts probably with, um, you know, with Eric Murdoch and mm-hmm. Marty Conlon and that group uh, back in the early nineties um, certainly it matriculated on to where, you know, the 97 team, which, you know, uh, allegedly hated each other, but certainly played extraordinarily well on the basketball floor. I never really saw any huge uh, problem between those guys. But then again, whenever I would come into the locker room, everybody kind of clammed up anyway, you know, so uh, (laughs) at least that's what Pete Gillen used to tell me anyway. And then, you know, I guess early 2000s, the Ryan Gomes era, uh, extraordinarily talented, great kid. Um, I, you know, uh, one of my favorite moments ever is, you know, when Jim Calhoun blew his, his, his top, uh, after PC knocked off, um, uh, UConn, I think this is back around Oh four Oh five. I remember that. Yeah. And, uh, basically said, Hey, you know, how, how, you know, you want to say I, I, I bleeped up, you know, by not recruiting Ryan Gomes. Okay. I bleeped up, you know? And so that's one of my favorite all time, you know, non, you know, or PC related moments is when Jim Calhoun, a, a basketball hall of famer basically uh, went off just because um, Ryan had torched him for a double, double that day. Um, and then, you know, I think lately uh, in all honesty, really, um, a lot of these teams that Ed has coached are special because the talent level is deeper 
And I think we can all recognize that. It's not that it was bad before. I, I think there have been great coaches and, 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 and great players in every era that I've been a part of. And I think all Friar fans, for no matter how you know, long they go back and probably admit to that as well. You know, if you want to go back to the days of, you know, Lenny Wilkins and John Thompson, you know, and, and, uh, uh, and, and the greats that really established the program uh, under Joe Mullaney uh, and Dave Gavitt, of course, um, my own broadcast partner. I mean, goodness gracious, probably the best shooter that ever played at Providence College, best pure shooter that ever played basketball at PC. Um, but these latest teams, I mean, I think Providence this year, for instance, and I haven't seen much of, of the new guys, obviously, yet, because for obvious reasons, this may be the deepest team they've ever had from 1 to 13 as far as the scholarship uh, limit is concerned. I think they could literally put any of these 13 guys on the floor and be extraordinarily competitive with just about anybody in the country. That's scary good. Now, I don't think that'll happen. I think what will right. end up happening will be, you know, uh, they'll settle into an eight or a nine person excuse me, eight or nine person rotation and probably go, end up going that route. But that's, you know, the depth is just a, an extraordinary um, accomplishment uh, that Ed and the current staff have really been able to manufacture. Absolutely. And, and with the Ryan Gomes quote, you know, Waterbury, Connecticut product, Jim Calhoun just losing it. That was, that was amazing television. And, well, and one of my favorite all time moments is because I was actually doing college basketball today on ESPN radio when that happened. So as soon as the game was over at Gamble Pavilion, I drove to Bristol to go on the air for four hours with Andy Katz, you know, who was still working at ESPN at the time. And we had a hoot and a holler that day uh, on Jim Calhoun going crazy over Ryan Gomes. It was one of the best Providence College national moments that I've ever been privy to. Absolutely. I mean, Ryan's my favorite friar of all time. I was a, just a young lad back in you know the early 2000s when I was going to games with my dad to watch Ryan play. 18 and 8, 18 and 9 guy all time, like could shoot inside, shoot outside, could rebound at a high clip. I love those types of players at PC. The next guy I think up after that is LaDante Hanton from the moment he was a freshman. And and, and what people don't even realize about LaDante is he's actually the Big East minutes played all time since 2009-2010. So people don't realize that he, he was the key figure for this Friars rebuild. He was Ed Cooley's first recruit. You know, he was in that same 15 and 7, mm-hmm. um, 15 and 8 conversation and, you know, just logged so many minutes for so many good teams. LaDante is one of the nicest kids uh, that I've met in, in over 30 years. Smart, polite, uh, hardworking. I, he just, man, you know, to come from his background and to turn out the way he did is a remarkable sense of achievement in his own right. He should be, and I know his friends and his family are very proud of what he's been able to accomplish. And Friar fans should be very, very happy to have young men like that basically represent their, their school and what the school has stood for for a number of years. He is um, uh, a standout individual overall and a very good basketball player. I'd like to give two shout-outs as well to Marshawn Brooks, obviously the 52 points, the uh, tied with Marcus Howard for the Big East all-time single-game scoring record. And I think probably the most underrated Friar of all time is Vincent Council, fifth all-time in the Big East in assists. And, you know, unfortunately played for some not-so-great teams, but was as good a point guard, I think, as we've ever seen in the Big East. So I'd like to just give them uh, some shout-outs as well. Yeah, Vincent was a guy, though, that was still a, a distributed first guy. 
But at the same time, he developed his shot and developed his offense to the point where he became, you know, a, a true weapon by the time, you know, he was done. So I would agree with that. I think Vincent was a vastly underrated player. Uh, and I mean, he and he ended up uh, snapping some of Ernie D's records, which are hallowed, as you know, uh, around Providence College. And then you mentioned Marshawn and Marshawn had uh, the, the unique, I guess, uh, privilege, if you will, to have played under two different staffs. Right. And while he was recruited by Tim Welsh, I remember when he got into a game and he single-handedly carried uh, the Friars to a win at Cincinnati when he was a freshman. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I remember uh, we sat at dinner after the game was over before we got on the plane to come back home. And, and Tim Welsh and I were having that conversation about Marshawn. And he's like – we're going to have our hands full. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, now that Marshawn's done it, he's never going to want to give it up. <laughs> yeah, certainly not known for passing the ball in China, averaging well over 30 points a game, you know, as a professional and had some great stints in the NBA with Memphis. And, yeah. um, you know, I believe even he had a he had a minute or two where he's on the Lakers in Golden State. So um, I love Marshawn Brooks. I loved his game and loved how he developed and became one of the best scorers in Big East history. Absolutely. Now, John, transitioning here. Am I correct that it's you've been the play-by-play announcer for the Friars for 32 years? This is year 32. Yeah. Wow. For Joe, Joe, this is actually uh, year 35 for him. Wow. I actually, I actually didn't know Joe had it in longer than you. Well, he he did it for uh, the year that I before I started. Gary Cohen who is the New York Mets announcer on uh, SNY. And then um, he also does Seton Hall basketball. Gary did it for one year before he actually left. He had done the Pawtucket Red Sox. And then he left Pawtucket to take over for Bob Murphy as the radio voice of the New York Mets. So that's how I moved in because Gary moved on to New York. And then for two years before that, uh, Joe worked his way in with Eric Reed, and Eric Reed is a longtime uh, uh, announcer for the Miami Heat. Mm-hmm. So Eric for two years, uh, Gary for one, and then me for thirty-two. Incredible! That's absolutely incredible. And for our listeners here, I mean, that is the absolute goal of broadcasting to be with you know one amazing brand for so long. And a, a lot of us remember two thousand sixteen, the call Drew Edwards to Rodney Bullock. A, a, you know, a lot of us remember twenty fourteen, Bryce Cotton shot his his three pointer and one, and uh, Ladante Henton shot from the wing. With those stories, you know, a lot of us know what the call was like, but do you have any good John and Joe stories that we might not know about? Oh, uh, well, the, the best one is, you know, I mean, obviously, there are a ton of great ones that are really not suitable for work <laughs> or anything else or, or for air. But the best <laughs> that we both tell now is the time that we're playing uh, Arkansas in Fayetteville. Um, and uh, this was 1999, maybe. Okay. I, want to, I want to say 99-2000. It was during Tim. It was one of Tim Welsh's first years, mm-hmm. and um, we're getting hammered. I mean, we got oh Lord of mercy, it was not pretty. And so during the second half, and Arkansas is just running up and down the floor. This is when Jamel Thomas was having to play uh, center, if I'm not mistaken. Wow, and he was no more than six six, right? Six seven. Six foot six, you know, center. I mean, goodness gracious, what you know? What are, what are we doing here? We, you know, we're this is not exactly uh, you know playing. I own a basketball or something here. So um, we're getting trounced. And then, of course, Joe's getting upset because not only are we getting trounced, but Big East officials are in Fayetteville, Arkansas, calling this game at Bud Walton Arena. And one of our favorite guys was Mike Kitts at the time. And fans will remember Mike Kitts, who retired not too many years ago. 
Kitsy is running up and down the floor, and finally Joe had just had enough over a, a non-call mm-hmm. because, you know, hey, our guys were getting beat up, and, you know, they're undersized, and they're getting pushed around, and you know how it goes. Absolutely. And Joe slammed down his headphones as the referees and the players are running down, and he reaches out and tries to grab for Mike Kitts in the middle of the game, and head <laughs> connect. There's no doubt in my mind that Joe would have been tossed from the arena. That's just because you just don't make contact with the officials. <laughs> I've known guys, um, gosh, recently retired voice of the Texas Aggies, Dave South. Uh, he uh, got tossed uh, for having words with an official uh, back during the old Southwest Conference back in the, uh, in the 1980s, for instance. So I've known guys in this business who have been tossed by officials, announcers who have been tossed from the arena. Wow. Joe tried to grab him. And he couldn't get him. And, uh, and, and so he, he was so put out over it, you know. And, of course, you can hear – we kept the recording for a long time. You could hear the, the headphones slam down. And I'm trying to, you know, filibuster and everything. And Joe's mumbling and cursing off to himself. And, well, he wasn't really cursing. But he was saying, you know, uh, uh, you know things that, you know, you wouldn't expect Joe Hassett to say. And, of course, when we got to the – and you knew that Mike Kitts heard him. Because you couldn't hear a pin dropping the arena. There wasn't anybody left. They were up by about 40 points in this game, right? So we get to the uh, the airport right after the uh, uh, the game is over. And sure enough, there's Mike Kitts. He's sitting at a table all by himself. And so Joe just kind of looks. And before I can even say anything, I was going to try to like, you know, smooth things over, right? Mm-hmm. Mike waves him over, says, come on over. Come have a drink with me. All right. And Joe just like goes over and they sit down and they chat like they've been lifelong buddies. Got to love it. It's the only time I've ever seen Joe blow a gasket in 32 years where I literally thought he wanted to get run from the building. Wow. Listen, and we've seen we've seen a lot of questionable calls over the years. I mean, not just from Mike Kitts, but, you know, from well, you you name one. We've probably seen a call from him. Right. Right. Brian, Brian O'Connor comes to mind as well. You know, the, you know, the, the phantom call on um, Ben Bento, uh, Villanova. Oh, oh in, in the Big East championship? Yeah, that, that's what, uh, I think it was the semis, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was the semis. I just remember him going up and that was uh, – Brian that O'Connell, was- and the one thing was is that I have the proof that there was no foul on that play. Uh, because I took the, the Associated Press had a great wire photo of Ryan Archidiakono shot going mm-hmm. up to the basket, and I published it on my Facebook page as my 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 photo for like a year after the game was over. And sure enough, there's Archidiakono going straight up, and there's at least this much space between Bentel and Archidiakono. There's no way contact could have occurred between those two players. And Brian O'Connell to this day still believes that Bentel fouled him. That was heartbreaking. And then we had the Kyron Cartwright championship against Villanova. But we, we did get them back with the Luan Pimpkins spin move on um, Connor Gillespie. So we, we did get him back this year. That was an awesome game. I was actually attending that game. And yeah, un- unfortunately, you know, we can't get all the calls right. So uh, hopefully, hopefully going into the season, we can do our best with current Big East refs. But exactly. John, I, I really wanted to talk about this article uh, that, that you posted on your LinkedIn today. Uh, the, it, it was an amazing article that included, you know, your name and your son's name with the likes of the Alberts and, and, and the Collinsworths. 
So if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit about, you know, keeping it in the family and, and being one of the power broadcasting families in all of America, please share. I don't know if I'd go that far, <laughs> but it was, it was really pretty cool to see. Uh, I, I, I know David Halberstam who wrote the article. He, he puts out a, a monthly or actually a weekly uh, blog uh, called the sports, uh, sports broadcast journal. And you, anybody can see it. It's, it's at sportsbroadcastjournal.com. David is a former voice of the St. John's red storm. He was the voice of St. John's for, I think my first two or three years uh, late eighties, early nineties, when I was at Providence before he then moved to go to Miami to do the Miami heat radio. And Eric Reed, who was my predecessor doing the fry radio moved into the TV booth in Miami. Okay. So it's a small, really kind of bastardized world here. But uh, David has, uh, is a noted writer as well as a broadcaster in over years. And so he was doing this piece on um, noted um, families that have had history in sports broadcasting. And so you're talking about fathers and sons, brothers, fathers and daughters, uh, all kinds of, you know, combinations as long as it's familial. And so certainly, you know, people like, you know, uh, Harry and Skip and Chip Carey are in there and, you know, Marv Albert and his son are in there. And by the way, his son's a great guy. I met him last uh, two years ago uh, at a Big East game. He actually came to our game against Butler and uh, he's, Cool guy, really cool guy, uh, not pretentious at all. And um, one of David's assistants, if you will, is actually one of my uh, sports broadcasting students at Dean College. His name Love is, it. Yeah, is uh, uh, Jake, um, and I'm dropping his last name right now, Baskin, Jake Baskin. Yeah. And he's actually a very, very talented young writer. Uh, he, you know, went to school, started his school at Hofstra, then left school for a couple of years, didn't sure he wanted to go back to school, finally decided he wanted to come back to school when he heard about our broadcast program at Dean. And so Jake is picked right up and, you know, I mean, he's amazing. He's really very good. So he was compiling all of these. And so he was asking me, hey, do I know anybody, you know, the father-son combos that he might have left out? And I said, well, you dope, you're talking to one. <laughs> oh my God, that's right. Oh my God, that's right. Your son, your son, your son. And so he included it in the article that he sent off to uh, David and David published us in there, which was really kind of cool to be in there. So, um, you know, Austin is uh, getting ready to start his second year as the voice of the Providence Bruins mm-hmm. uh, in the AHL, which is, as many people know, uh, the uh, AAA affiliate, if you will, of the Boston Bruins. And mm-hmm. um, he's frustrated by, you know, what's going on with, with COVID, obviously, because AHL keeps pushing their season back. Uh, right now, it doesn't look like you're going to start uh, before February. So he's, you know, chomping at the bit to get going, but, you know, nobody knows really when they're going to get going. So I appreciate your mention of that. Thank you. Absolutely. And so many great memories going to P Bruins games as a kid. And even as, you know, even recently when I've been back home. So shout out to Austin on his success. They still draw extraordinarily well. I mean, on, on a Friday night, you know, at the dunk, there's seven, eight, nine, ten thousand people, depending upon if they have a, uh, you know, a promotion going on. And I would say easily in the last three to four years, even though no one really realized it, they outdrew the Paw Sox. You know, uh, when the, when Paw wow. Sox fortunes were, were going down, uh, the the Providence Bruins were always pretty steady. You know, even on a bad night, the the Bruins were drawing five, six, seven thousand. Absolutely. You know, and I'm glad that we still have them. Uh, unfortunately, you know, we had to let go of the Paw Sox, but I'm very glad that we still have our P Bruins. And John, in terms of your tenure with the Patriots, am I correct that it's been 28 years you've been the in-stadium voice? This is year 29. 29. 29 years for your New England Patriots, ladies and gentlemen. Not many people know, or maybe many people do know, Coach Ed Cooley, huge Patriots fan. 
Mm-hmm. Yes. So we're, we're bringing it together here. We're keeping all your New England sports here on the Friar podcast together. And usually before we do, you know, his coach's show or whenever we're doing a pregame interview or something along those lines, we usually, you know, you know, do a little Patriot heat check with each other. He'll ask me, what the hell is he thinking? What the hell is Belichick thinking? What the hell is, you know, was Tom Brady doing? What blah, blah, blah. You know, we'll, you know, we'll, and we'll end up doing that. And some of our best stuff, again, is the stuff that doesn't get recorded. So it works. And I remember uh, Malcolm Butler sitting courtside many a times during his uh, his Patriot regime. So we've definitely seen some, you know, former and current Patriots players sitting courtside at some Friars games at the dunk. Go to Dion Branch quite a bit, you know, sitting courtside. Yeah. Love Dion. He was a great, great receiver. And John, can you tell us a little bit about your work with the Patriots and, you know, just your work in general, you know, working for a multitude of, of, of New England sports brands here? Um, I, you know, my, my, my game with the Patriots has really been pretty consistent over the last well, you know, 29 years. Um, you know, we, we do all the home games. Um, and then uh, during the during the week, uh, I host uh, radio shows for their uh, online live Patriots.com radio channel, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we've been doing that for 20 years. So um, it's one of the longest running, you know, uh, podcasts that I can think of in the country. We started doing it back in 2001 and haven't stopped. The Patriots were actually among the forerunners of doing podcasts and doing live radio streaming uh, back in the early 2000s before anybody in the NFL ever got wind of it. The Patriots actually, believe it or not, uh, I'll go a step further. They were the first NFL team to have their own website. Wow. In 1995, and then they decided to uh, you know try to speak to the fans. So that's when the uh, the online um, uh, radio stuff came about in 2000, and I helped them put that together. And then in 2001, they decided they wanted more than just one show, so we offered you know a couple of different things, and I've been with them ever since. So that's kind of part of what I do for them on a on a contractual basis uh, every you know football season and then doing the games whenever the, the games are played and but you should know and Friar fans are also aware of this that whenever there's a conflict you know uh, my loyalty has always lied with the Patriots I mean, I mean with, the, with the Patriots with the Friars <laughs> it's all good John we, we know we know where your loyalties lie number one uh, and number two if the Patriots were recording having a website and recording podcasts uh, back in '95, I'm pretty sure that they had bleachers back then at the old at the old uh, Foxborough Stadium. So they were definitely ahead of their time on the internet. There they definitely were. There's no question. They've been they've been they've been blazing trails for you know 25 years, and uh, it's pretty amazing. Now it's it's you know kind of run of the mill routine for you know any professional sports team, much less an NFL team, you know, to have that kind of uh, you know. Uh, I guess, content on their website. But the Patriots were well out in front of everybody, and we're still doing it to this day. Yep. It's certainly a world-class organization. And transitioning back back to Ed here, um, I, as many people know who've met me, they know that I'm a huge fan of Ed Cooley. Both my parents grew up in Providence, and I know that the challenges can come, that can come with that. And Ed grew up on the South Side. He talks about how he ate bread with ice cubes growing up. And he was just a kid from Central High School who you know, was able to make it over to Stonehill and became a teacher and then became his absolute dream job, uh, you know, being a head college basketball coach first at Fairfield and then at Providence. You guys have such a great chemistry when you guys do the Ed Cooley radio show um, that I'd just love to know, like you said, you told us some John and Joe stories, you know, tell us a little bit more about your relationship with Ed and tell us, you know, what you enjoy most about spending time with them and, and, w- and why you think he's as great as he is. It's been great to work with for, for one reason uh, above all others, and he's real. There's nothing fake about him. You know, when he tells you he loves you and 
all that kind of stuff. He really means that. That that's actually that comes from his heart, and I think it comes from someone who largely did not have when he was younger. So he appreciates the value in in having you know now not just money, not just material goods, but good fortune, uh, faith, good health. All the things that go into, you know, hopefully, you know, leading us on to, to, to bigger and brighter lives. And it's very, very real about that stuff. And I, and I like his genuineness. Plus, I also like the fact that, you know, um, you know, we can bust each other's chops oh, yeah. and, and not, uh, you know, not take offense to it, which is great. And that's a relationship that is really rare between, you know, a broadcaster and a coach, because a lot of times coaches don't have as thick a skin as you think they do. Mm-hmm. because of all the, the darts and the daggers that they usually take. You know, I remember, you know, I'll, I'll tell a story on him here and I, and I love Pete to death, but we were, this was in 1997 when the Friars were, you know, we were in um, Birmingham for the uh, sweet 16 and we're getting ready to uh, play uh, Arizona. Right. So this is right before the Arizona game. We'd just beaten Chattanooga to move into the elite eight. Right. Right. And so I'm doing my pregame interview with Pete, but he liked to, he didn't like to do it at the arena. He liked to do it in the hotel room and the sanctity of his hotel room before we left for the arena. And so I knocked on his hotel room door and I walked in and he's already drenched in sweat. I mean, <clears throat> wow. I couldn't believe it. And I'm just, and he's wiping his brow and, and I'm like, Peter, you okay? And he's like, oh, yeah, I'm good. I'm fine. You know, no problem. No problem. Hitching and twitching, as he always said, right? And so one of the questions I asked him was, you know, I said, you know, so here you are on the precipice of making the final four. I said, are you having fun with this? Are you having any fun? And he looked at me and he kind of rolled his eyes in the back of his head. And he, he just said, you know, I'll have fun while they stop. You know, he gave me one of those typical when they stop spooning my eyeballs out with, a, you know, gouging my eyeballs out with a spoon and, you know, do, you know, giving me all the, you know, you know, normal, you know, uh, Brooklyn ease that he normally gave us. Yeah. But that just it just like hit me. I'm like, he is under a tremendous amount of stress. And I felt so sorry for him because, man, I wanted to soak in every moment of that that experience. And, you know. When, not if, when we get back to that moment, I, I believe me, no one will appreciate it more than me, more than I will. I, I, and I'm going to sit back and I'm going to try to let it ride and just go with the flow. And there's nothing that's going to bother me whatsoever because I know where we've been and I know where we want to get. And I've learned to appreciate through some of the uh, the hard times as well as the good times to all the coaches that we've uh, we've been privy to have here at Providence. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, shout out to Pete as well, doing a great job on CBS. Love watching his uh, his work on CBS. And 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 to quote Ed here, uh, if you're late, don't come in because you know you you need to go through the down times with Providence basketball to truly appreciate the up times. And you talked about thick skin. When I think about thick skin, I think about the 2019-2020 Providence Friars losing to the College of Charlestown and Long Beach State to start the season. And then beating five ranked teams in a row in February, in the month of February. It was Butler, Marquette, Creighton, Seton Hall, and Villanova, if I'm not mistaken. One of five teams ever to do that. Beat five ranked opponents within a month's time frame. But then... This shows you what kind of talent they had on that team. Right. And, and, but then it, it comes to an abrupt end. 19-12, and 12-6 and 6 in conference. Completely turned the season around. But the season comes to an abrupt end. What, what was your reaction when that happened? Well, we were all stunned. I mean, what else could you be? It was, it was, it was stunning in in its abruptness. 
uh, in his swiftness, in his finality. I mean, I, I was, um, uh, you know, when, when they called the game at halftime, the Creighton-St. John's game at halftime before we got going, uh, I mean, we're all like, wow, maybe, you know, you think maybe in a week they'll try to play it again. I mean, well, nobody knew. Back from the arena, from Madison Square Garden, back to my hotel, and I got a phone call from Rich Chavakin, who is the uh, radio voice of uh, the Georgetown Hoyas, mm-hmm. and he's become a very good friend of mine over the years. And he says, um, me and uh, Teddy Sarandis, who used to do Boston College, he said, me and Teddy Sarandis are having lunch. Come come find us. You know, come, find, come have a drink with us. Come sit. I said, I'd love to, but I got to catch a train. I'm out of here. Yeah. And he said, oh, you already booked your train? And I said, yeah, I, I booked the train as soon as the thing was over. I said, this doesn't look good. And so I got back to our, to our hotel room, and the team had just pulled out by the time I got back to the arena or back, back to the hotel. And I t- happened to turn on the television, and ESPN had just made the announcement uh, that uh, they were you know, uh, canceling the NCAA tournament. Right. And I'm just like, I, I can't believe this is actually happening. I felt like I was just swimming, you know, and, and I didn't know what to say. I was still hopeful, like everybody else, that maybe in another month or two months, they would figure out a way to, you know, turn it into, you know, chicken, you know, feathers into chicken salad. But they, they couldn't. They didn't. And, and here we are still not doing much. And uh, it's just been an extraordinary moment in in all of our lives um unfortunately i I just you know i i wish that i could say that you know it was getting better it's not we have to all continue to do whatever we can individually so hopefully the greater good will allow us to get back to doing the things that we love doing which is you know watching covering college basketball and i'm hopeful that we might see some light at the end of the tunnel with all the good news about uh, the vaccines over the last 24 to 48 hours uh, I'm hopeful that we might be able to see some light at the end of the tunnel before the end of the season. Now, that having been said, Billy, today the news is that the NCAA has pulled the plug at all of the first and second round sites in this year's tournament. That's right. And so that means, of course, the Providence uh, you know, uh, is out of the running and the Dunkin' Donuts Center is no longer going to host in 2021. What they're going to do is something that uh, we talked about with Danny Gavitt a, a bit on Ed's coaches show a couple of weeks ago that um, they're most likely now because of everything that's going on and they're trying to protect themselves because they want to make sure that they have a tournament. Uh, they're going to move everything to a centralized you know, location where they can sort of bubble everybody up. Now, I don't know how they're going to pull it off, but at least as you and I are speaking now, mm-hmm. um, the idea is, is to bring everyone to the Indianapolis vicinity. Because the final four is in Indianapolis anyway at the at the uh, um, at the dome, right? And, um, I'm sure that they will use several uh, venues in and around Indy. Maybe even who knows? Maybe in Hinkle Fieldhouse at Butler, um, you know, for teams to use games, and they'll probably uh, cordon teams off. And we talked about possibly if they had to do it, we talked about possibly putting teams in 16 team pods. You know, and then everybody just, you know, basically play it down and stay at that one location and stay at that hotel over a two week period until you have one winner left. And when you have a winner left from each of the four pods and they meet at the dome for the final four. And that's kind of what I think now is going to happen in March if we're able to stay on schedule here. And we don't know that because, gosh, almighty. I mean, I saw two days ago a list of about 20, 22 I believe at last count, college basketball programs who are currently um, in quarantine. 
because they have, uh, you know, they have uh, COVID cases, you know, in the, or in their um, in their coaching staffs. Two of them are Big East schools, as you know, UConn and Seton Hall. Uh, even Rick Pitino's Iona team has been quarantined, you know, for the last two weeks as well. So this is going to happen periodically mm-hmm. throughout the semester and, and, and throughout the year. And I think everybody needs to be prepared for it. You know, knock on wood that it happens, you know, that it doesn't happen here. But if it does, it doesn't mean it's the end of the season. You just have to sort of backtrack and recoup. And this is why we're trying to get in a lot of games early in December and in January, but a lot of them in December, especially. I think we have, uh, what, six? We have 10 games scheduled for December. Yeah. And that, that usually does not happen. Once we can determine how they're going to play out with the Big East schedule, I wouldn't be at all surprised to see, you know, the Big East decide to sort of cordon up uh, and, and quadrant up and maybe bubble up and, you know, put four teams at a location and lead, let each of the four teams play each other, you know, once or even twice and then take a week off and rest and then move on and go again. I mean, it's going to be a season like we've never seen before. Ed has said that already. Uh, I kind of know that already. We just kind of hope we can all get relatively healthy to March to where we can have a representative tournament. Absolutely. And, and Rick Pitino actually came out and said, hey, we should probably delay the season a couple weeks. And there has been some discussion about that overall. I, agree with that. I totally disagree with that. Now's the time you need to be playing. Mm-hmm. And, and plus, you've got roughly... Oh, gosh. I mean, if you've got 20, 25 teams that are out, what does that leave us with? 90%, 92% of the rest of college basketball that's still ready to go? Why are we shutting it down for this many? Right, when we could be playing games. When we could be playing games. Those that can play games need to play them. When there's nobody on campus, no students on campus for the next two months, we need to be taking advantage of that safety net and playing games. That's when we need to be playing games. We don't need to delay this at all. He could not be more wrong in that regard. If you can't play, well, you know what? I'm sorry you can't play. Get well, do what you're supposed to do, wear your damn mask, and then play. It's that simple. Amen. Wise words from John Rook here. Also, guys, on Twitter and Instagram, you can look him up at JR Broadcaster. And John, this kind of segues into, it's kind of, it's both a theme and and a question here is, what, what do you think the shortened season or, you know, everything that's going on is going to do for these Providence Friars? I mean, we start off here against the former Ed Cooley coach Fairfield Stags, and then we go right into a direct tournament in, in the Maui Invitational, which won't be unfortunately held in Maui this year. We, we have maybe a couple tune-ups in between before we really get to Big East play. Like, th- this team's going to have to turn it on really quick. And we have a couple guys most likely in the starting lineup, you know, some transfers, some younger guys who haven't really taken the reins before. We're going to have to get up to speed really quick. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, but then again, um, you know, um, they've chosen the schedule that they have because it's it's easy to play a couple of teams that are, are close by. That's number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I believe they're also um, uh, favorites in their league or at least supposed to be you know, well thought of in their own league. So that helps, number two. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, playing in Maui, I mean, you're going to start off by playing, you know, uh, uh, a blue blood blood in, in Indiana in the opening round. And then if you win that game, you're probably playing Texas for a third straight year. Uh, that, that Texas game was pretty fun to be a Friar fan at last year. I was, I was there. And-, and it was They played extraordinarily well. They really did. That was one of our best games all season long. So Absolutely. 
Um, you know, but so, but and if they if they lose to Indiana, it's it's not. I mean, it's not going to be any. Uh, it won't be a walkover to play Davidson. You know, Davidson is a very good, very solid, well shooting team out of the Atlantic Ten that Rhode Island gets. You know, it's fill of every year. So, um, you know, you need to try to win a couple of games. You know, in North Carolina, which is the, is the Maui you know tournament for this year. Um, in an effort to feel pretty good about yourself, I think, heading into uh, conference play because you've, you've only got six non-conference games that you've got scheduled. You could schedule up to seven. The Friars were able to get six. Right. So, um, you know, you got to make uh, you got to make the most of it while you can. I'm hopeful that if they can win the first one, then even if they're if they're playing Texas, if they lose, my guess is they're going to play somebody like, um, you know, North Carolina uh, or Stanford in the in the in the last game, which would be another huge, you know, uh, power five type of uh, power six type of, uh, of team that would go a long way uh, towards showing, uh, you know, the selection committee because boy, is, is it going to be more subjective this year in picking teams for the NCAA tournament than it ever has been before in the history of the tournament? Certainly since, since uh, it, it expanded to 64 teams. And, you know, the Friars have Big East play going for them, but they're going to have to win 11, 12 games in conference play again. Uh, and if they, out of six, if they could go four and two, five and one, then they're going to be in really good shape to be where they want to be. Agreed. And, and, and you talked earlier about this team being deep and one of the most deep we'll probably see uh, since Ed Cooley has taken over the helm. What are your initial thoughts other than the depth for the 2020-2021 Friars? The, the addition of Ed Croswell is, is going to be bigger than people think. Uh, he was scheduled to sit this year out. Right. This year out because he wanted the year to continue to mature, put on some extra weight, work on his offensive game. That's one of the reasons why he came here is he felt like Providence could help him with his offensive game. Look, he's a rebounding fiend already. He may be the best rebounder individual we've had since Michael Smith. He's been in the top three nationally in offensive rebounding percentage each of his two years at LaSalle. So there's not a whole lot of missed shots that get by him. So that that's that's big right there. Um, but if they're able to, you know, they're going to use Ed, I think, primarily to back Nate up. Right. Uh, there is also an opportunity, and we spoke with Ed about this a week ago. There's also going to be an opportunity for Ed uh, and uh, Nate to play together. And if you add Noah Horkler to that mix, oh, my God, that, that's, you know, you know, you're talking 6'8", 6'9", 6'10", right across your front line. That's NBA size right there. So, and, and you've got a, you know, a 6'9 guy that can get out and shoot the long ball and a 6'8 and a 6'10 guy that are going to bang you to death, you know, that have got huge shoulders, big arms. I mean, it's, that's going to be a hard matchup for anybody. So I think uh, Croswell's ability to rebound is going to help immensely. Now, the only way that Croswell probably doesn't get the rebounding numbers that we think he can get is because this turns out to be a better shooting Providence team than we originally thought. And, and we're hopeful. I mean, uh, we saw some improvement from A.J. Reeves. Uh, we've seen some improvement certainly from David Duke, who was third, fourth in the Big East in three-point percentage last year. Um, the, the X factor here is going to be Jared Bynum. Absolutely. Uh, but if Bynum can keep offensive or defensive honest by shooting, you know, the, the 18 to 21 footer, then uh, Providence is going to absolutely be able to, to uh, you know, slice and dice people. And that's what you want them to be able to do. 
Well, yeah, I mean, you look at a guy like Noah Horkler, averaged about 16-9 and nine at North Florida, like, can step out and shoot it like he's really a multidimensional big man. I think that's exactly what we need opposite Nate Watson. And then you look at a guy like Jared Bynum, in an Ed Cooley offense, he takes so much pressure off David Duke as being the other ball handler. Yep, very um, true. You know, Bryson Goodine is also going to come in and play into this mix, the Syracuse transfer. He right. did not have a very good freshman year. He can shoot the ball. I've been told he can shoot the ball, but he's extraordinarily lithe. How's that for an adjective? Very athletic, athletic, but he just sort of glides to the rim. Uh, I, you know, I've been told that, you know, in, in the Syracuse people originally thought he would be a, a Lawrence Moten type of player. And that's unbelievable uh, comparison there because there's few better in Big East history than, than Lawrence Moten. But um, if he can figure out a way to get consistent with his outside shot, then his ability to get to the rim is going to have to force teams to honestly defend him. And what I can't wait to see is how, how good a job he can do uh, to pass as well, because he's going through the middle. You know somebody's going to be open on that wing, whether it's AJ or Noah or somebody who's sitting out there ready to throw a three-point dagger in. A lot of options, a lot of exciting options. Absolutely. And and there were days as Friar friends, we prayed for those New England kids to stay home. David Duke, AJ Reeves, Bryson Godin as well. He's a St. Andrews kid and, you know, would love to see him be successful in a Friar uniform. So definitely going to be rooting for him. I think the major themes for this season is going to be David Duke being the leader of the team, of course, stepping in for Alpha Diallo and his 14 and eight a game. And AJ Reeves really taking that next step to being an elite player and being super consistent, you know, pass making those, those timely three pointers we know he can make. And then lastly, how big of an impact will these transfers make? You know, I think I'd love to hear, you know, what you have to say about, um, you know, what's going to drive these Providence Friars in 2020, 2021? What do you think is going to be the biggest thing or the biggest story coming out of the season? I honestly believe they're, they're going to, they, they have confidence from the way they left last year. There's enough that has come back. And, and each of these guys are going to be a factor with the exception of Croswell and Goodine, uh, uh, the, the other six to seven guys in the rotation, eight guys in the rotation, I remember enough about last year where I, I think that they know what it'll take to be able to get back there. So uh, I think that's part of it. And I think they also know that, look, if I have a bad game, there's somebody ready to pick me up. Mm-hmm. This team is that deep. I mean, we're, we're, we're talking, you know, uh, Jimmy Nichols, uh, Chris Monroe. Chris Monroe. Yeah. Almost, you know, afterthoughts of this entire mix, but they're going to be very valuable pieces coming off the bench, especially if they can contribute with any kind of consistency at all. Uh, you know, Nichols, I know, is going to get some run on that front line. Uh, I hope that we can find a little bit of play for Chris Monroe as well because he came out of North Carolina noted as a shooter, and he really hasn't had an opportunity because he took an early ankle injury and, and so uh, in an early, uh, I think, knee injury. So he's a guy that, um, you know, if he can find, you know, his confidence, you know, early on in the season when he gets his chance out on the floor, that could be real exciting. Ed could have a completely different problem, and that would be – trying to find minutes for guys that deserve it. Absolutely. And, you know, we're projected third in the preseason poll. I think there's a lot of expectations on this team, and I think a lot of people see it as, as well as you do, that we're a deep team that can definitely compete and put up competitive lineups night in and night out. Let's let's switch gears a little bit to UConn. Of course, we want to talk about our uh, rivals 45 minutes away in Storrs, Connecticut for a little bit. Uh, they're returning to the Big East. We know who their coach is, of course, Dan Hurley, URI uh, former coach, and they have Acock Acock, um, you know, former Putnam Science great who we were recruiting. And, you know, they have a great team down there in stores. And I, I think, unfortunately, we're getting them on an upswing when they've been on the downswing for a while. 
Do you mind talking about UConn for a little bit and what they're going to bring to the Big East? Well, UConn brings, you know, cachet still, whether, you know, Friar fans want to admit it or not. They bring the brand, they bring the logo, they bring the tradition, they bring the national championship pedigree, they bring the rivalry. I don't know a Big East team that doesn't have a rivalry with UConn, especially Providence. Absolutely. We're rivals because we're so close in proximity, but everybody in the Big East, with the exception of the of the three, you know, newer teams that joined when, uh, you know, UConn and the old Big East split off, uh, everybody uh, has, you know, the, the seven Catholic schools, if you will, have some kind of a rivalry with UConn. So it'll be mm-hmm. great to see that rekindled, uh, to have a, a guy that you can consider, you know, somewhat of a, you know, a, a black hat and Danny Hurley, you know, who we certainly know around here well enough, you know, from his time at Rhode Island. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's great. You know, everybody has to have, everybody has to have a Darth Vader, man. <laughs> Absolutely. Everybody's got to have a, you are my, you are my son, Luke, you are my son. You know, everybody <laughs> has to have that. We have that now. And so, and, and believe me, you know, I know that UConn's coming back to the Big East benefits UConn more than it benefits the Big East. We Absolutely. were just fine at 10 teams, but with 11 and now the ability to play 20 league games, now you're, you're talking about um, another notch, another level. What we have to hope, and, and we're anticipating will happen this year, but what we have to hope is, is that UConn has success we have to hope that. I know that that really just kind of like probably makes, you know, Friar fans hair on the back of the neck stand up a little bit. But you have to hope that because they were not good in the in the American. They were not good. They were not UConn of old. They have to come to the Big East and be the UConn of old. We, we don't need a patsy in the Big East if the Big East is going to continue to year in and year out be the best college basketball conference in the country. You know, the Big Ten and the Big 12 this year are loaded. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, the Big Ten is one to 10 out of 14 teams. They can go probably 10 deep. They might put 10 teams into the tournament. The Big 12, which has 10 teams in it, they'll probably go seven or eight de- deep. We should be able to go seven or eight deep with 11 teams in it this year. So um, those two leagues are going to be really good. The Big Ten is scary good, which is why I, it's too bad we couldn't get the Big Ten Big East Challenge thing, you know, this year because of the scheduling. But the Friars have their own chance to, to knock off a Big Ten team when they play Indiana, you know, down in North Carolina. It's a big opportunity for a lot of headway because both teams are really sort of on an even level, uh, Indiana and PC both got votes for the top 25. So it'll be interesting to see who comes out. And they'll probably play, you know, one of the better big men in the country, you know, when they play Indiana that night or that afternoon. Absolutely. And, you know, for Friar fans out there who are worried about UConn, we did re- receive more preseason top 25 votes than they did. We had nine and they had six. So we have the uh, we have the early lead here. And honestly, when I think about UConn, you got to hold on to that lead. You got you got to hold on to that lead. And when I think of UConn, I think of Kemba Walker, of course, I think of the Ryan Boatwrights and even the Alex Oriakis, the local, you know, New England kids who committed to UConn. And, you know, I wish I wish them the best. And, you know, I want every Big East team to do well. But I, I just want us to continue to, you know, hold our spot as one of the top Big East teams. And I think if we, you know, concentrate on our recruiting and concentrate about, you know, what's most important to Friartown, we will always uh, we will always be up there under Ed Cooley. And speaking of, of our Friars going back here. Let's talk about the projected starting lineup for 2020-2021. I know my listeners are dying to hear what you think will be will be trodden out on night one, uh, hopefully next week. Uh, John, who do you think is going to be starting for the Friars next week? 
I'll go with um, I'll go with Bynum, Duke, Reeves, Horkler, Watson. Uh, and I, I will go with the same. So I'm not going to uh, I'm not I'm not going to debate that. L- love the versatility, the height, and the uh, the scoring ability of that lineup. I think there's going to be a ton of balance, and I think. Uh, we should be a great defensive team as well, as I think David Duke's one of the best on-ball defenders in all of college basketball. Um, we haven't really talked about Nate Watson too much as well as Greg Gant. Why don't, why don't, why don't we touch on them for a little bit, John? Well, Watson is, uh, you know, he got off to that slow start last year because of the knee sprain, and he never really rounded back into shape until very late in the year. So Nate's one of the guys that I think we're looking forward to hopefully getting off to a fast start. Greg Gant, we saw tremendous athleticism you know he's just all arms and legs he could end up being one of the if not the best defender in the big east before he's done i can't wait to see the friars get out and try to play a little zone with gant out on the wing and horkler out on the wing and reeves out on the wing i mean these guys are so long i mean they've got such length it's going to be really difficult for anybody to drive and penetrate on them so i know ed wants to place you know a lot of man because that's just the way guys like to play but if you want to win games i think you've got to zone teams up with this kind of length that Providence has. So I hope that they'll they'll mix and match. And that's how Greg Gant's going to get a lot of time with his ability to crash the boards and his ability to go out and guard the wing. I think Greg Gant is your typical, you know, Ed Cooley recruits, so athletic, you know, can play multiple positions, just needs to be a little bit more polished on the offensive end. But, I mean, he just has that ability to get out in transition and finish with authority. And, I mean, he, he's just a physical specimen for his age. So I'm really excited, you know, really pulling for him too as he lost his mom last year and, you know, I, I, I just wish him the best. And, you know, we want to see him do really well here in Friartown. And Absolutely. Talk, talking about the recruits that we recently landed, which, by the way, John, I think not being able to see campus in person and not being able to interact with Ed on the day to day, you know, coming to a campus visit, I think has certainly hurt us. Um, but we have been able to land some pretty good recruits recently in uh, Legend Geeter and Rafael Castro. Um, what are your initial thoughts on those recruits? You know, um, I honestly try to kind of stay away from recruiting for a couple of reasons. Number one, um, until I get a chance to see them and evaluate them in person, mm-hmm. I'm not sure that I really want to build up hype on a young man that hasn't stepped foot on a college campus yet. And just sort of a pet peeve of mine. I, I'll, I'll go along with, with all of what the you know recruiting gurus are saying. I've yeah. seen videotape. They look like tremendously talented kids. God, who couldn't like Legend Geeter? I mean, with a name like that. Heck. No. I mean, that's, that's an all-time – I mean, that's almost as good as Abdul Abdullah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's, 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 an, it's an amazing name. And, you know, he's a Detroit, Michigan native. Uh, seemed like his coach was a little disappointed he, he wasn't getting looks from Michigan or Michigan State, so we're happy to have him. And then Rafael Castro – just another example of, you know, what what Ed Cooley does on the recruiting trail and he gets out and he, and he gets to know these kids on a personal basis. And even when a University of Florida is offering, he's coming to Providence College. Castro is one of those kids, though, that is going to be, I think, a late developer, late bloomer. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of teams are going to wish they probably got in on. He's a guy that runs the floor. He can already swap shots. He just needs to put on a lot of muscle for him to be able to bang in the Big East. Uh, so it'd be great to have that kind of size and that kind of ability uh, at 6'10", 6'11", because he's still growing. Last I, t- I heard um, that uh, if he can get to be 6'11", 7 feet and, 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 and get up to 200-plus pounds, then the Friars may have themselves something. They have that rim protector that they really have desperately wanted for the last couple of years. 
Absolutely, and I think unfortunately about the uh, the Dijor the Dinkins and the uh, and the Pascal Chukus who didn't work out, and hopefully that Rafael Castro will be the one to work out um, um, in that regard. But I mean, John, just speaking with you here today, like I, I'm so excited for the 2021 uh, season. I think we're absolutely going to be a deep team. I think we're going to give people matchup nightmare problems. You know what? A Cooley team's always going to be gritty and always buy in on the defensive end, and I think we definitely have the ability to be an offensive uh, powerhouse that maybe we haven't been in terms of shooting and uh, having multiple options to score on any given night. So there's a lot of options there, Billy, and we just have to hope for some good health and some good fortune, and 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 uh, you know, you know, say if you know, uh, say a few prayers that uh, you know the uh, the COVID crud stays away from Providence College. That's that's really the the, the best thing I think that could happen is uh, you know keeping these guys safe and healthy healthy and able to, you know, to have some success for the duration. Amen to that. And some final thoughts here, John, you've been at the Dunkin' Donuts Center for a long time. I know we're going to be playing games from Alumni Hall, but when we're in the dunk, is there any better home court advantage in college basketball? No, no. I mean, there are a lot of great places to go to. I mean, I, you know, I, I love Madison Square Garden. It's one of my favorite buildings to visit, period. Just because every time I walk in there, I just, I just soak in and, and revel in the history of the building. Uh, and there's some really good arenas in in the league. I mean, I love and appreciate the history, you know, uh, behind Hinkle and Butler. Um, the uh, the rowdiness and the noise level uh, of um, the, the CHI Health Center in, in Omaha, where Creighton plays, because it's it's banged out with 17,000 every night. Gosh, I mean, uh, even at Marquette, obviously we know about UConn. Uh, you know, name a spot. They're all great. Um, but in terms of pure nastiness there's very few better than the dunk on that one and all you have to do is just ask the opposing coaches which is their least favorite building to go into and i'd say out of out of the 11 out of the 10 coaches in the league obviously not counting ed here we'll pull him out of the mix here but out of the other 10 coaches in the league i'd be stunned if seven or eight out of the 10 didn't pick the dunk Doug Gottlieb had the quote, remember, was the dunk where ranked teams go to die. So it's a great one. I think I think I think that really says it all. And we really do have an amazing home court advantage. And I was actually at I think it was the last game played at Alumni Hall was uh, Houston Baptist played in 2017 uh, to start off the season. That was a great atmosphere as well. So I'm excited to uh, I'm excited to see what it looks like from there. But John, we honestly can't thank you enough for being the first guest ever on uh, the Friar podcast here. And, you know, we wish you and your family the absolute best. You've been an absolute asset and, you know, amazing part of the Providence College community for so long and happy to call you a friend now and just hoping for some great college basketball this year. And we'll be listening to you. Always good to be with you, Billy. Thanks for asking me. You're welcome. huge thank you to our inaugural guest, John Rook, Providence Friars play-by-play announcer. And a huge thank you to all of you out there for listening. There's a lot to look forward to for these Friars this season and a lot more to look forward to on the Friar podcast. We have more great guests lined up in the weeks ahead. And if you enjoyed our show, please help follow us on our social. We're on Instagram at Friar Podcast, as well as on Twitter, also at Friar Podcast. And don't forget, please like, subscribe, and leave a review for us on iTunes, as well as SoundCloud. Next week, we'll be joined by Stephen Napolillo, Senior Associate Athletic Director, who will be discussing his role at PC and what the 2020-2021 season is going to look like from Alumni Hall. Thank you all again for listening, Friartown, and have a safe and healthy Thanksgiving. Go Friars!